Hello and welcome to the Urban Gardener podcast where we help up help you turn up your gardening knowledge with tips and tricks for gardening in the city. I'm Josh Campbell, urban agriculture and natural resources educator here as always with my good friend Julia. I'm Julia Lawson, I'm the Oklahoma County Horticulture Educator. We are excited to talk to you today about how to plan and implement a water efficient landscape. Um, we work a lot with the city of Oklahoma City and really um, have done a lot of programming in the area of water and water conservation. Uh, so we have some great tips and some resources to share with you today as you think about how you make your landscapes more um, resilient when it comes to efficient use of water um, and you think about the best plant materials and the best practices for um, efficiency in your landscape. So I, I guess a good place to start, Julia, is really just talking about why water conservation and water efficiency is important. Um, if you've lived in Oklahoma City long enough, you know that our weather can be extreme back and forth, right? Yeah. So we, we yeah. sit here uh, in the month of May 2023 mm. when we're recording this podcast and we're having lots and lots of rain, which is mm. not atypical uh, for this time daily. of year, almost yeah. daily. But less than a year, you know, a year ago, right. six months ago, even we were yeah. in in severe drought, and last year was one of one of the hardest um, hitting droughts that we've experienced in a long time. And so, mm-hmm. if you lived in Oklahoma long enough, you know that our um, our climate, our seasons, year to year, um, and also cyclically in five and ten year periods, can be wet or they can be dry, right. and they can be extreme of both. Right. And so, we need landscapes that are resilient and able to handle those extremes of, of drought and of wet. And when we do get rain, we want, we want soils and we want plants that, um, that can take advantage of that and and utilize the water when we get it so that they can have success when we're not getting that, um, that moisture as well. Right. And as we've seen our city grow, our communities grow and urbanization is just happening everywhere. Um, there is more and more demand for the water that we have as a finite resource. And so it's important as gardeners, people that are interested in gardening, um, just from an environmental perspective to, to be interested in efficient use of water, but also when we think about our bottom line and, and our water bill and what we pay for water, water is not getting any cheaper. Um, and so we can utilize some of these practices to um, make for you know, less, less hit on the monthly budget when it comes to water. Right, right. Um, so for us, I, I, I always like to define the term water conservation because I think there's a lot of definitions out there. Right. The, the definition that I like to use is that it is the strategies and practices to manage the use of water in your landscape as efficiently and responsibly as possible. So we're not talking about not using water. Of course, there's going to be a need for, for using water occasionally, but it's how do we manage our landscape so that they are using the water that we give it or that they get through natural precipitation um, as efficiently as it possibly can, right? Yeah, and I think when you define it that way, it fits the urban person. It's different when you're, you know, out on a, in a rural community perhaps or living on an acreage or something, but the urban family or the urban uh, resident has to kind of look at what works in order to get what they want, which is a beautiful lawn and a beautiful lawn and gardens or flowering things, and they don't want to pay a six or seven hundred dollar water bill. And none of us 
deep down really want to be wasteful. Right. It's not human nature. Or well, maybe it is human nature, but that's another story. But you know what? We want to do the right thing. Right. Yeah. Right. So some of the things we're looking at is picking plants for your landscape that are well adapted to our climate in central Oklahoma. Um, you don't necessarily have to go all native, but you know when you go native or towards the native plants, you're using things that will live in this climate. Mm-hmm. But if you do go um, more with the um, exotic type plants, or what we call exotic, and they don't have to be that, you know, it could be your grandmother's daisies, they're just not native, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or irises, you know, they're common, not necessarily so exotic, but not necessarily a native plains plant. We want to use things that are just super, super adaptive. So that's what we can we can help within the extension service. The other thing is we want to build our soil and make it full of as much of organic matter as we can so that this, the soil itself is healthy and it holds moisture. And and the more um, organic matter our soils have, we know that the, the more, more they hold moisture. moisture. Yep. Yeah, so we'll talk about that. And then I think it's really important to mulch um, because mulch, you know, acts at like that little blanket on top that holds the soil temperature more even, which is better. Mm-hmm. And it also holds the moisture in. And you, we'll talk about mulching. And then um, I'm going to let you address really the efficient watering schedule. That works the best. But let's talk about first about plants. So whatever it is that you want in your landscape, if it's maybe uh, you want a lot of color, so you're going to be looking at annuals. Maybe you just want really adaptive perennials, so you have these little dashes of color, or you find perennials that bloom all summer, so you get the effect of an annual. Do your homework. Um, we have lots of resources available. And then one thing you can do is group them in the, you know, group them in their, with their water needs or their sun or shade needs. So that means pay attention to your um, own microenvironment around you. If you know you're getting full west sun in the afternoon and you need things that are extremely sun and drought tolerant, or maybe you're one of those people that has a total shade garden, so mm-hmm. you're choosing plants for that need. Or even maybe a, a lower spot in the landscape that tends to pool water oh, yeah. after a rain yeah, or something like with that. things that are tolerant mm-hmm. of, or that um, the water accumulates there, so that's a good place to put that garden. So learn about the plants that you want to use. Do some research. Um, decide how much maintenance you want to do as well. You could do a total xeriscape. You know, those are very possible, especially with native plants where you have – uh, when we say xeriscape, where we're not adding, you know, really any additional water except in a very extreme um, type of a drought situation uh, or during establishment of those plants, you may still have to water. But really what would probably be better is to determine, uh, to develop a water-efficient landscape. So um, that's going to be choosing plants that will tolerate some heat and drought. And then um, what about watering, Josh, as far as, now we know we have this landscape that we've chosen plants based on the, the uh, references we're going to give you today that give you some ideas of things that are extremely drought tolerant but beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then when we go to water them, how can we be more efficient with our watering schedule? That's a great question. And I think this is where there's so much confusion uh, as far as how much you water, how often you water, all of that. And it leaves a lot of people kind of frustrated, not knowing. And so we end up with just watering because we think we need it, right? Right. Certainly water is important. And when it comes to, you mentioned the word earlier, that establishment period mm-hmm. is critical. Right. So when we put new plants in the ground, perennials, especially, you know, established trees plants, shrubs, trees, and shrubs, yeah. that first year is yeah. very critical. And we need, to, we need to water those in well enough to, um, to have the moisture they need to be able to settle in and, and, and root into that spot. Yep. 
once they've established and you know they've they've gone through a year or a season in the landscape, um, if you look at our historic rainfall patterns and it, you, I've explored Mesonet and looked at at trends and patterns, we we really tend to get kind of tr- typically two periods of the year that are dry. Right, we get that that midsummer drought. Yep. where late June through early mid-August where we warm up and we dry out. Yeah. That is typically the, the critical period here in our landscapes where that's we may need to be thinking about some supplemental water. Yep. Um, we also do sometimes get dry in the winter. And so yeah. occasionally, especially if we've got an evergreen type of plant or a broadleaf type of um, evergreen type of plant, the, the winter can be an important time to add some supplemental irrigation so they uh. don't desiccate. So outside of those two time yeah. periods, we tend to get enough moisture to yeah. maintain I've, established plants I've throughout the year. This, um, Josh, you know, I've been gardening in the Oklahoma City area for quite a while, and I, I swear that there are years where I never got my irrigation out in the summer. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I hand water my mm-hmm. gardens. So, um, you know, I never turn the water on because we it, we go like seven, eight days, and we get another mm-hmm. downpour. Mm-hmm. Now, it's only been a few summers that I remember that way, but I remember it raining every day the month of June, <laughs> Almost every single day. Yeah. I don't even remember what year it was, but it it so just be weather aware. I mean, we say that anyway because of our storms here, but be weather aware as a gardener, right? right. Pay attention. E- typically, if we if we have some sort of meaningful, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot, but even you know, a little bit of rainfall within a two week period during the summer, the the plants are going to be fine. Uh, if they're established now, we've had again summers like we had last summer where yeah. we have hundred degree temperatures. We don't get rain to speak of for for months on end. Um, you're going to need some supplemental irrigation to really. I'm not saying that all of your plants died. I actually have some beds that I just kind of didn't do much to, yeah. and the, a lot of plants came back despite yeah. how hot and dry it was. Yeah. Um, but those were established areas that have really been right. um, been es- established for years. Um, you run the risk of, of losing plant material that first year, especially if you don't do a good job of watering them. Well, we always get this question about um, how much do I water then? So we, the rule of thumb, and this isn't just OSU saying this, it's a rule of thumb with gardening and plants, is one inch of water a week. Mm-hmm. And you may have to go up a little bit higher if our temperatures get unseasonably hot in late summer. Uh, but one inch of water, now that's not true for containers because mm-hmm. they don't have much soil, but in the ground about mm-hmm. one inch. Um, so you would, whatever your system is, right, you'd set it up to where you knew how long it, if you turn your drip system on, how long it takes you to accumulate an hour. Yeah, and we have, I mean, s- there are different ways to, to to meter that and kind of figure out what that is. Uh, we have some great fact sheets and some, some even some YouTube video re- resources through Oklahoma Gardening that walk you through that. Um, you can do a simple catch can test where, like, uh-huh. let's say you have a, a hose-end overhead sprinkler that you're right. running in a, in a bed or something. Right. You can put that can out and and mark it at one inch, and one when inch. that fills up, you kind of you know, know you that's about how long it takes to fill that up. you know how that much pressure you have at that. Yep, so that's one way to do it. If you've got a sprinkler system in you know established landscape beds and you've got a sprinkler system, typically a um, a spray head or a fixed, fixed spraying sprinkler head puts out about one inch for every one hour that you run that that's system. That's easy to remember. So it's an it? easy way yeah. to remember one inch, one hour of runtime, yeah. And so if you need to put out an inch of water over the course of a week and you're using your automatic sprinkler system to do that, let's say you're running 20-minute cycles, that's, you know, three 20-minute run times over yep. the course of a week. And, that um, and that's in the absence of rain, right? Yep. So if right, we get no some rain. rainfall, you you, yeah. you would subtract that a little bit. That's helpful. So, 
Um, you'll get the more that you garden till you get you get the, you get to know when things need water by looking at them. You can tell uh, by also the way the soil feels. Right, the more that you garden. Um, let's see. Oh, let's talk about soil. Yeah. So when you have a sandy soil, water just runs through it because there's big s- particles, right? And they make big holes when the particles come up next to each other. When you have a, a loam or clay, let's just say clay on the opposite end is the clay soil with the little tiny fine clay particles, and they're so tightly together that water just sits. And then in between there, you'd have like a loam or a sandy loam, which is a perfect mixture of those two. So water's going to run through sand. It's going to sit in clay. How do we get more towards a loam is probably by adding organic matter, right? Organic matter is a great way to do that. I mean, certainly if you have a, a heavily compacted site, you'll see you'll see people do different things. Um, sometimes like a compost and sand mixture, like a, a two parts, compo- uh, three parts, one part sand, two parts compost yeah. um, mixture is sometimes used in top dressing settings. So if you, you yeah. aerify and then you, and then you top sand dress with compost. that sand compost uh, mixture, that's, that's going to help bring your clay soil a yeah. little bit more towards that sandy loamy. Yeah. Um, at, at a, at a minimum, you know, the, whatever we can do to get organic matter in those yeah. soils, either sandy or clay is going to help them. Um, that organic matter has that awesome effect of um, slowing down moisture and nutrient transfer in, transport in a sandy soil and and um, and then actually making infiltration more able to happen in a clay soil it's where like it's magic. just yeah it's just yeah, so magic how so it magic. happens yep. um, and so definitely soil improvements are going to be a huge foundational piece to developing a water efficient landscape yeah. and and by adding organic matter in the way of top dressing with compost or using compost as a mulch because then it yeah uh, slowly will um, you know, fix the soil underneath it, or it's, it can be incorporated after it's if it's an annual mm-hmm. bed. So let's go ahead and talk about mulching. Um, so we talked about it a little bit earlier that when you put that mulch on that bed after you get everything planted and the soil's warmed up a little bit. So really, we're going to wait till about middle of May or first of June because we want the ground to get warm. If you put it on in March or April, it's going to stay cool underneath right. there. So let the soil warm up a little bit, which is good for the root system. And and an, another tip, kind of along with that, not only the the soil uh, temperature regulation uh-huh. factor, but also for me, I like to wait until I get some of those small weeds germinating oh, yeah. up and I just run my little hoe across it and, yep. and then mulch right after right, I've right. scraped those. And yep. so I allow that seed bank that's there to exhaust itself a little yep. bit before Instead I mulch. Push its way yep. through, the soil, through the mulch. But then also the other thing is that fact that once we get it on, it's about the time we're going to start watering if it exactly. doesn't rain. Exactly. So we're holding that moisture in. And it, it, to me, it's unbelievable when you can pull some mulch back and find out that it's nice and cool and wet underneath there. And it's, a, I, it's amazing if you see a bare soil and a mulch soil, you know, in the same conditions, how much temperature regulation and moisture um, retention occurs under mulch cover. Just a right. small little, you know, one, two, three-inch yeah. layer of mulch cover yeah. can make a big difference Well, in terms and what of are water. the different choices we have for mulch? Really, you can use almost anything you want, but the more organic it is, the more it's going to feed the soil. So probably our favorite mulch is always going to be compost if you can use it. You can buy it bagged. You can have it delivered by the truckload. You can make your own. Uh, we have a great fact sheet on how to make compost if you want to learn how. But you could also use other organic so- sources like um, chopped up leaves or straw or um, perhaps grass clippings after they've been uh, composted a little bit, even once they turn dry. Um, you could use uh, also um, 
wood mulches, like mm-hmm. um, the problem with wood mulches, like um, chip mulches, is that they just have to, those have to be used on top of the soil and never incorporated until. Um, un- I guess if it was, you could incorporate them if you left them there for years right. and they began to biodegrade. But if you incorporated them when they were fresh chips, they would bind the nitrogen up and that would be bad. They for rob so much of the they nutrients rob it that when are they're biodegrading. The yeah, so we avoid turning those in. But they work great on the pathways, or you can put them on a garden, then uh, don't turn them in, but rake them back when you plant the next year. So um, whatever works for you, whatever you can get your hands on, that's great. Um, I was going to mention real quickly about soil testing. We did yeah, the same thing yeah, about that's that. great. So we also recommend soil testing, although it doesn't. Soil testing doesn't really help you with water conservation. It does help you with fertilizing and knowing where your nitrogen level is and your pH and all that. So we can adjust that, and it's uh, not not expensive, and it's not hard to do. So right. we should mention we do the soil samples at the different county offices throughout the state. Any one of our seventy-seven county offices, you can do a basic soil test for ten bucks. And like Julia said, it it is a great. Um, way to make sure that anything you're putting down on your landscape is what is needed and, and not in excess. So when you think about environmental um, responsibility in, in terms of, of um, what we do and practices in our landscape, fertilizing based on a soil test is, is got to be one of the low-hanging fruits of, of making sure you're not over-applying fertilizers, um, which, again, is not a necessarily a water conservation benefit, but certainly a water quality benefit when right. you think about all the potential contamination from right. over-fertilization that can occur in, yep. in water bodies. It protects water. Yep. Um, we didn't really mention on the mulches, I'm, I'm stepping back just a little bit, but the more coarse that mulch is, the, the less you put on. So like when we were talking about using compost, you might only put on one inch or one and a half inches, but if you were using straw, you could use four or five inches. So mm-hmm. If it's very very coarse or heavy, use a smaller amount. I should have yeah, mentioned that's that. That's a great that's a great tip. Yeah, and then let's mention um, drip irrigation real quick. Okay. So back in the day, literally when I when I was graduating college, um, someone gave me um, this real complex drip irrigation system for my garden as a graduation present. It was really nice, but it was it was complicated. It was expensive, but now they're super easy. In fact, you know. Um, in the community garden here at OSU uh, Extension um, City County Health Department, we literally just use soaker hoses. Mm-hmm. But drip systems are affordable and easy to use as well, aren't they? They are. So there are a lot of options now when it comes to drip irrigation. And so there are everything from um, basic kits you buy off off the shelf that have all the things or, or kind of a la carte options. Um, and drip irrigation is a great option, especially when we're thinking about a, an established permanent landscape bed. So a perennial bed that's going to, that's going to stay, um, or a vegetable raised bed type of setting. Um, those are great options for drip irrigation. You can do everything from a drip irrigation that has all the holes kind of preset in there and you lay it in the bed. Or uh, what you mentioned, soaker hoses are are not a bad option. The one thing I will say with with soaker hoses and drip irrigation, soaker hoses are a little bit cheaper option, but they don't have um, the pressure compensation in in the hose. And and those soaker hoses are so porous that you end up getting a lot of water in the first few feet of hose and not as much at the end. And so I prefer soaker hoses in in, um, bed settings that are maybe square and can be coiled around versus a straight run. So if you're going to try to do a straight run of of plants or vegetables, a soaker hose is not the best option, but drip irrigation could do a a nice straight run of plants. Yep. And an easy way to do it. But um, so look for drought tolerant plants, water them correctly, um, mulch them, 
add some organic matter to your soil. Get a soil test so you'll know what's going on with your soil. Um, be a smart water. But I, here's the big one, Josh. I love plants. You know I love plants. So I want to find out some things that will work in my garden that are beautiful. I want them to be pretty. They have to be pretty, right? But I want them to be drought tolerant. So where do I go? That's a great question. Um, we have a lot of resources on that. So we have a great guidebook called the water efficient landscapes for Oklahoma. Um, and it can be, we'll link it in the show notes, but you can find it by going to our extension website, extension.okstate.edu and just searching, uh, water efficient landscapes. It's a beautiful guide, lots of great pictures. And, and we're co-authors of it. Aren't we, we are co-authors on <laughs> it. And we actually, we partnered with the city of Oklahoma city. So they, they've actually taken this book and they put a plant database mm-hmm. on the the city um, utilities website so okc.gov slash utilities you can click on the plant database link and this plant list basically is in a searchable form there on that website so you can actually set a filter you can say i want perennial plants full sun partial whatever you criteria you want to set you hit search and it'll generate plants from this book that meet those um, that criteria that you set. And so um, if you're thinking about establishing a new landscape area, incorporating some new plants, and you want plants that are beautiful but also water efficient, this is a great place to start. You know what I like about that too? It shows if they're pollinator friendly and all that. It does. It gives their details on their, are they annual, are they perennial? If they're perennial, where are they adapted to? That is a really good resource. It's a great publication, and so that's that's one I would start with. But Oklahoma there are other Proven things out there. Is good too. Oklahoma Proven is good. The only thing on Oklahoma Proven, those plants were not selected just to be drought tolerant, but right. they are very well adapted plants that are introduced uh, every year. The the OSU introduces a tree, a shrub, an annual, and a perennial. So that's over twenty years, twenty two years of introductions, and that's all online too. You can download great that. resource. And, and like you said, those plants weren't specifically selected for their um, water efficiency but right. they were selected for their they do adapted so well. ability yeah. to Oklahoma conditions it's always good and so those are going to be some bulletproof uh, plant materials as well mm-hmm. those are two good places to start um, and you'll find a lot of great plant options in both of those guides hundreds between the two of them of, of oh, great yeah. plants that are options for for your landscape yeah, and they're and most of them are easy to find too so you know get creative look for what you want think about what you want and put water conservation at the heart of that. We all need to do that, especially going forward. Absolutely. Um, So with that, please do check out the resources we, we highlighted um, and feel free to reach out to us anytime. Um, Our job is to to help you. And so reach out to us uh, at our extension office and engage with the, the resources that we share with you. We appreciate you listening and we will see you next time on the urban gardener podcast.